This past Monday morning, I was up at the hospital with Danny and Bob and, and Marietta were there, and Cindy's sister and her niece, we were all together waiting while Cindy was having surgery. And after we had sat for a while, I came and got Danny and took him back. And I was concerned because he had been gone for quite a while, but these things take time. And, and we're talking, I look up and here's Danny walking back and I'm trying really hard to read his face. Like, what, is it good news? I don't know. It's really hard. I'm trying really hard to read his face. And then I look at his face and it looks like this. And uh, that was pretty obvious, you know, and I knew it was good news. And so right there in the waiting room, we celebrated and we prayed together and we talked and I realized I really needed to start getting back home. I had to get Connor off the bus, get Gracie home, get Connor off the bus and all of that. So I, uh, I excused myself. I also real, I really, really needed, I really needed some chicken wings. Um, it had been a while and, and I needed chicken wings. I was, I'd been a good boy. And I deserve chicken wings. So I found a place that had chicken wings. I stopped and ate. Didn't take too long. Ate and read and, and uh, got up and left. And I checked my GPS to see how long it would take to get home. And I looked and it's like perfect, perfect timing. All I got to do is take this road and I'll be there. And it's fine. And I'm coming down 130 and I'm just about to the intersection with 130 and 133. And there's a barricade right there. And no, no flag man or anything. So I stick my head out and I say to the guys working, where do I go? And they pointed me on west. So I go down west. I'm flying down that road. I'm looking at my GPS. I'm thinking, okay, it's cool. It's no problem. I've still got plenty of time. I get around the corner and they had flagged a semi through from the other side. And he had made this curve and didn't do a good job. And he was stuck right there. And there was no way to get around him. There's no way to you know, scooch, as we say here in central Illinois. You couldn't scooch around the semi. So I had to back up, and then I realized I needed to go further west. And I really needed to go east. And the further west I went, the further west I had to keep going. And I'm looking at my clock, and I'm thinking, and my GPS, I'm like, there's, there's no way I am going to make it home in time. In fact, I'm not even sure I'm ever going to make it home at this point. Maybe you've had frustration like that, you know? Maybe you've had one of those moments where you know where you need to be. You know what you need to do, but the way is blocked, and no matter how hard you try, you can't get there from here. It's bad enough when it's a road, but when it's just life, and when life seems to throw barricades, that, that can get frustrating, getting where you need to be, or, or helping someone else get where they need to be when they're stuck. And there are barricades that come up in life. Barricades of indecision, barricades of inaction. Sometimes life just gets hard and finding the way through seems impossible. You know where you need to be. You know where your friend needs to be, but you just feel, you just feel paralyzed. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark uh, about people who were trying to get a friend of theirs to Jesus. Uh, their faith told them, their faith told them that Jesus was their only hope, that they needed to get their friend there, but they could not reach Jesus. And the one person that they needed to get to Jesus, he definitely couldn't have gotten there on his own. So there are lessons in this story. There's lessons in this story we can relate to. And there is a faith in this story that helps us find our way. We're in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, page 837. If you're following in one of those blue Bibles, let me read that for you. Mark chapter 2, and when he, that is Jesus, when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was home. And many 
were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. If you're curious, I did make it home Monday. Okay. More importantly, Cindy made it home Monday. Praise God. But there are barricades that we encounter to our faith. There are barricades we encounter to our future. And you may be in one of those barricades, feel like you're at one of those barricades right now for, for our church. How do we move ahead? How do we get ahead from here? Where do we go to get ahead? And there's some lessons in this story I want to share with you, some lessons in this story that we can learn from these four people who went looking for Jesus. And it begins with their faith. That's what Jesus noticed. Jesus saw their faith. But what I want you to notice in this story is that faith looks an awful lot like compassion. Did you notice that? Faith looks an awful lot like compassion. Now Mark gives us a lot of details in these 12 very short verses. Every one of the details Mark gives us is important. They're all there to catch our attention. We're only two chapters into Mark's Gospel for one, and it says Jesus came back to Capernaum and people said He's home. This is Jesus' home for now. This is where people know Him. Crowds of people have come to see Him, to hear Him. In fact, there's so many people in this house that, that the room is full and the door is blocked. Mark's very careful to give us a detail in verse 2, and I hope you noticed it. Mark says that Jesus was preaching the Word. Did you notice that in verse 2? Jesus was preaching the Word. Mark doesn't say Jesus was healing people. Mark does not say Jesus was working miracles. He says He was preaching. But four people show up with a man who is paralyzed, and they've got to get that man to Jesus. There's no way in. So they tear a hole in the roof and they lower the man down to Jesus. Now, the, the story doesn't say this, but it's an assumption that we've always made and you've made it. It's an assumption I've made. We've always made the assumption that these four were his friends, right? We've always thought, well, those are, those are his four friends. And, and I think that's probably a safe assumption. But I can tell you this, if those people were his friends, Tearing a hole in the roof, 
was not the hardest thing they had done all day. If these four people were the friend of this paralyzed man, tearing a hole in the roof was by far not the hardest thing they had done all day. Someone had to get up in the middle of the night and turn him because otherwise he'd get bed sores. That morning, someone had had to get him up and get him cleaned up. Someone had to wipe him. Someone had to feed him. Someone had to get him dressed. And then the four of them would have had to take him out on that bed, out to the side of the road, lay him out there next to the path where people come by to do their market work, to do their shopping, and they'd have to leave him there with a bowl to collect coins as people came by because that's the only way that man could have worked. He would have had to have been a beggar. That was their day every day, day after day. And he would be fortunate to have those kind of friends. There are people in your life that you would care for like that if you had to. There are people you know. You would love them like that if necessary. You, you've, seen, you've seen spouses become caregivers and do hard things day after day. And they tell you, I made a vow. In sickness and in health, this is what I do. You see neighbors devoted to each other. You see neighbors show up with casseroles. <laughs> You've seen neighbors show up and mow your lawn. You've seen neighbors show up and scoop the snow off of your steps before because they know that you need a little extra help. Jesus is amazed at their faith, but their faith looks an awful lot like compassion. And I wonder if the people around us, people in our community, do, do, they, know, do they know that faith looks like compassion? Are they aware of that? We, we talk about faith. We know that faith is important. Other people know that faith is important to us. We, we talk about defending the faith, keeping the faith. But until faith looks like compassion, it doesn't mean much to our neighbors. And I'll tell you this, and until faith looks like compassion, I don't think it impresses Jesus all that much either. Several times over the course of this year, I've told you there's just three things, three things that we've got to remember to do. Love Jesus, love one another, and love Kansas. If we'll just do those three things, we'll be fine. Love Jesus, love one another, love Kansas. If we do those three things, we can make a difference. Lives will be changed in this community. Lives will be changed around us if we do those three things. Jesus saw their faith, and their faith looked an awful lot like compassion. And I'll tell you this, when, when compassionate faith moves you to care for others, when compassionate faith moves you to care for others, you will find a way to get them to Jesus. It's the centerpiece of the story. It's the detail you can't miss. The house is packed. There's no way in. But these four, moved by their compassionate faith, they don't give up. They hoist him up to the roof. They tear a hole in the thatch and they lower their friend down to Jesus. We love to say, when God closes a door, He opens a window. Not always. Sometimes you got to tear a hole in the roof. Sometimes you've got to find something new, some new way in to people's lives. But don't let anything stand in your way of getting people to Jesus. Get creative. Tear a hole in that roof, whatever that roof might be. Somewhere in the 1960s, and I can't tell you how many times I had to hear this story over and over again. Somewhere in the 1960s, mom was home one afternoon, and dad had just gotten home from work. She rushed to meet him at the door lest he say anything he shouldn't say. It didn't work, by the way. But she, she met him at the door, and mom told him, there's a man in the living room 
Dad figured it was a traveling salesman, door-to-door salesman. Dad said, I'll take care of this. He walked into the living room, found a man sitting there in a suit and tie, and Dad said, whatever you're selling, we don't want it. The man stuck his hand out and said, I'm the new preacher at the Kansas Christian Church. And Dad said, well, maybe we want it. (laughs) There was a day when a preacher could just drop by someone's house, wasn't there? There's a day when a preacher could go door to door in a community, just drop by, and that door would be open. Nobody opens that door anymore. There was a day when we could plan a week, we could get Bo Deaton in here to preach, right? We'd get Dixie Stoller in here to do music and play with her puppets. We'd pack this place every night. People would show up. We'd have pie afterwards and everybody would stick around. By the end of the week, we'd have a few baptisms. People would have given themselves, given their lives to Christ. We would have had new people here. But that door doesn't work anymore. I haven't seen that door open in decades. There are doors that used to open for us. There are doors that would open to to grow a church, to change a community, and a lot of those doors are closed or they're blocked or, or no one's coming to that door anymore. They're pretending they're not home. And good luck getting through their windows. But that doesn't mean people don't need Jesus. It doesn't mean people can't be reached. It just means you may have to tear the roof off. Find a different way. You might have to get creative. You might have to look for new ways to get into people's lives, ways that you've never noticed before, ways you've never thought of before. And every church I know is facing this reality, okay? Every church I know is facing this reality. Doors that used to work just don't work anymore. That doesn't mean we give up. It means that we find a new way. Not just to grow, but to reach people and to show people that we care. I think about the generous buckets that we have in the church. And all we've ever asked is that you bring a dollar a week and we, and we fill the generous buckets. And over the years that we've been doing those, we've got people in our community who can tell you stories about how the Kansas Christian Church helped pay for their child's medication. We got people who can tell you stories about how we fed families, about how we paid bills. We got a person in our town who can tell you the story about how we took her car one night and we put new brakes on it. People have stories like that. I think about that visit from the preacher who uh, my dad said, we might need what you've got. I don't think it'll surprise anyone. It, It didn't actually work with my dad. Dad never ended up coming to church. And that visit didn't get him here. He was never persuaded. You know, when you ask people, the numbers are always consistent. But when you ask people why they go to church, 6%, 6% 6%, 6% will say a preacher invited me. 6% of people will say the pastor invited me and that's why I come to church. But 82% say a friend invited me. It was a friend who invited me to church. There are new ways. There are ways to reach people in this community. It might, it might mean tearing off the roof. It might mean taking apart something, dismantling something that we absolutely love to get people in here but they've got to know we care because faith without compassion means nothing. But compassionate faith, faith that shows people that they are valued, faith that shows people they are cared for, faith that shows people they'll even be carried through those rough times in life, that can make a huge difference. In fact, compassionate faith can change your world. I used to make this little joke 
when I first came back to Kansas 21 years ago, there was a joke I made, and I made it quite often, and I always thought it was hilarious that I would stand up and say, you know, I come from a town that's a lot like this one. And I'd, I'd laugh, and other people, you'd chuckle a little bit. I come from a town that's a lot like this one. I haven't made that joke in over a decade. Just to be honest, this town doesn't look a thing like the town I grew up in. This town doesn't look a thing like the town I grew up in. The people are very, very different. The community is very, very different. For my generation in the 80s, all you had to do is let us play kickball in your front yard, buy us some pizzas, and we'd sit and listen to what you had to say about Jesus. We'd show up. We'd show up and do that. This is a whole different world, and plans and programs don't mean a lot to this world, but love speaks volumes. And a compassionate faith can change their world. As Mark tells the story, these four people show up with their friend. They can't get in. They've got to find a way to get their friend to Jesus. They tear a hole in the roof. They knew He needed Jesus. They knew Jesus could heal Him. They had faith. But what does Jesus give him instead? In verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, Jesus. Now that's kind of personal. That's not why we're here. We're here because we're tired. We're here because we're tired of carrying Him. We love Him, but we can't keep doing this day after day after day. We're not here for forgiveness. We need something else. And in the meantime, the scribes, the law keepers are listening to Jesus and they're saying, what did He say? What was that? He forgives Him? He can't do that. Verse 8, perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, Jesus said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. There was no way into that room. Do you remember that detail from the beginning? There was no way to get into the room. The door was even blocked. But when Jesus tells this man to stand up and to walk out, the, the, the room parts. And people let him out. He finds a way and he walks out of there not just healed, but forgiven. He walks out of there clean. He walks out of there with a weight lifted off of him. It wasn't just that his broken body was healed, but his broken spirit was healed as well. His shame was gone. His guilt was gone. The hurts that he had carried, the hurts that had weighed him down, the hurts that had him stuck were gone. There are people all around us, and I'll tell you what, they don't know that they need to be forgiven. It's the last thing on their minds. There are people around us that don't know that they need to be forgiven, but they do know that life is not going as they had planned or even hoped. And they know that they're hurting. They know that they're lonely. They know that they need a friend. They know they need something to change. And they know they need community. They need someone not just to invite them to church. They need someone to invite them to lunch. They need to 
know that they belong to someone. They need to know they are loved and valued and cared for, and that when things get really bad, they need to know that they'll be carried by somebody. And you can do that for them. You can show them that they're forgiven, and your compassionate faith can change this community. Your compassionate faith can change your world. I love the last verse of this story. Verse 12, that last thing. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I'd love for those words to be spoken of of this church. I'd love for people in this community to say that about this church. We've never seen anything like this. Well, I've never seen anything like that. Well, that was different. That's not even nice. You know, that was different. I didn't know church could be like that. I didn't know people could care for me like that. I didn't know I could be loved that way. And I know it can happen. In fact, I I believe it will happen. But it doesn't happen without some effort. And it might not happen without dismantling some things. Some of the things that we used to do or the ways that we used to do them to make a new way to get people to Jesus. But when your faith in Jesus tells you that the most important thing that you can do is care for someone that's hurting, you'll do anything to get them to Jesus. And people will say, we never saw anything like that. Your sins are forgiven. That's what Jesus tells that man. You are here today because you have that assurance. You are here today because you are sure that Jesus has forgiven your sin. There are people out there who don't know that yet. They don't know that that's available. But the first thing that they need is a friend. The first thing they need is someone who's going to love them, someone who's going to care for them, someone who will not just invite them to church, but someone who will show up when they're hurting. We take the Lord's Supper. We say those words every week. This is my body. This is my blood. And you take that in. And it's not just symbolic. It's not just a remembrance of what Jesus did for us thousands of years ago. It's the reality that He is with us today. And that by taking Him in, (laughs) I'm going to dismantle some some of my attitudes towards others. I'm going to dismantle some of my prejudices. All of my prejudices. Every prejudice. And I'm going to let Jesus love people through me because now he He is in me. He is with me. And we take this to remind ourselves as much as anything that the life that we used to live, the life that was broken, the life that was not forgiven, the life that just didn't work, that Jesus entered into our lives and changed everything. And there ought to be moments in your life where you stop and think, I've never seen anything like this. I've never known this kind of love. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing together and we'll take. Father, we praise you. Thank you for the way Jesus shows up when we're hurting the most. And I thank you for friends that'll show up. I thank you for friends that that occasionally we get to carry through some very, very rough times. And and I thank you for the kind of love and the kind of compassion and the kind of faith that says the most important thing I can do is get this person to Jesus. So we consider those that you've surrounded us with. Lord, it is no accident those friends are in our lives. It is no accident that they have those needs that they have. Give us wisdom and hearts of compassion to reach out, to tear apart whatever we need to tear apart to get them to you. We thank you 
Thank You for this bread. We thank You for this cup. And we thank You for this reminder of the central place that Jesus has in our hearts. I pray our neighbors can see that. I pray those in need can see that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.